When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. In other words, when I look at the cross where Jesus died, everything else in this life, all the good things I've ever achieved or earned or been given, I count as loss. How can the cross of Jesus Christ, that terrible wonder, be such good news that every other thing in life would pale in comparison? And to take it a step further, why is the wondrous cross of Jesus Christ good news for you tonight? That's the question we're going to ask as we open up to Luke chapter 23 this evening. How can the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died be good news for you and I. Before we get to our text tonight, Luke chapter 23, I want to give some background on the events leading up to Good Friday. How did Jesus get here hanging on this cross? Some of you may be familiar with the story of this week and others not so much. Well, this week is affectionately known as Holy Week, and it is without a doubt the most significant week in all of Christian history, really in all of human history. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that if the events of this week didn't happen, if Jesus didn't die and then raise from the dead, then our faith as Christians is worthless and we're to be pitied above everyone else. So how did we get here? How did we get to Good Friday? Well, last Sunday we celebrated Palm Sunday. That day we remember when Christ finally arrived in Jerusalem and was boldly declared by his followers the king who comes in the name of the Lord. After arriving in Jerusalem, he spends the next few days teaching. He teaches in public, in the temples, and in private with his disciples. Matthew 21 to 25 uh, stories this in detail, these teachings, and Jesus is very blunt in his teachings. And if you read that account in Matthew and hear what he's saying and how he condemns the wicked behavior that he's encountered, it's almost no wonder that the religious elite wanted him dead. Well, after a few days of preaching and teaching in Jerusalem, Thursday arrives, and at the end of the day, Jesus takes his disciples into the upper room of a house, and he reclines at a table with them. He predicts his betrayal by Judas and the denial three times by Peter, and then he leads the disciples in the first Lord's Supper. The disciples and Jesus sing a hymn and they depart the room and they arrive at the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is eventually arrested. At both of his trials, both with Herod Antipas and Pontius Pilate, Jesus is found innocent. But the chief priests and the scribes continue to cry out. And with riot on the horizon, Pilate grants the release of a notorious murderer named Barabbas and allows for the crucifixion of Jesus. In spite of his total innocence, Jesus is handed over to be crucified. And that brings us to Good Friday, the day of Jesus' death in our text for tonight. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 46. If you have a Bible, would you open there? Uh, if you open up about halfway through, it's right at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you hit Acts or Romans, you've gone too far. But Luke chapter 23, verses 32 
to 46 is where we'll be spending our time this evening. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 46. I'm going to read these verses in their entirety. And as I do, keep our question for tonight in mind. How can the cross of Jesus Christ be good news for you and I? Hear the word of the Lord as it's read. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, the criminal, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And it was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. We're going to zero in tonight on two ways that the cross of Christ is good news for you and I. First, the cross is good news because Jesus made a promise. As our text begins, Jesus and the crowd are led outside of the city gates. History tells us that they were leading Jesus and the criminals up on a hill, a hill that Luke identifies as the skull. It would have been somewhere that was highly visible to those coming and going from the city of Jerusalem. See, crucifixion is a terrible way to die, and the Romans knew it, and so they did it along those streets so everyone coming and going could see. It would serve as a warning for those thinking of committing a crime in the city walls. Watch out, lest this be you. Well, Jesus is placed on the cross and he's lifted up with a criminal on either side of him. Unlike the men on either side, though, he was fully innocent, totally undeserving of the punishment he was receiving. And yet, his attitude was not vindictive or angry. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Look what Jesus says. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Not, Father, strike them down. Not, angels, come rescue me. Not, you're going to live to regret this. Forgive them. Forgive them. See, the purpose of Jesus descending to earth was coming to a head. Everything he had said and done and promised and predicted was leading to this event. The people watching on, common people and leaders alike, stood there scoffing at him. The so-called king of the Jews hanging there. You can hear them, right, murmuring in the crowd, mocking as they watch. Some king, huh, hanging up there, 
What a joke. This guy, the Messiah, I mean, look at him. If he's really the Messiah, let him save himself. The soldiers join in that mocking, right, adding to his suffering. In a fulfillment of a prophecy in Psalm 68, they offer him something to drink that quenches his thirst, right? Sour wine or vinegar. You can hear them mocking as they do it. Thirsty? Yeah, we'll give you something to drink. If you're the king of the Jews, like that sign above your head says, save yourself. Then one of the criminals next to him begins to join in, yelling insults, mocking. Right? Aren't you the Messiah? Save us. Save yourself. But the other criminal, now having hung there with Jesus for probably a few hours, finally recognizes the situation for what it is. Perhaps he had been present at the trials of Jesus where both Pilate and Herod Antipas had declared him innocent, and that was in the back of his mind. But certainly the Father in heaven was, for reasons that are beyond our understanding, calling this criminal to himself. And in a surprising, shocking turning turn of events, this criminal recognizes Jesus' innocence and rebukes this man two spots down. Look, he says, we deserve to be here. We've committed crimes and our punishment is just, but Jesus has done nothing wrong. And then, turning to Jesus in a confession of his lordship, he says to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus' reply to this criminal hanging next to him should knock us off our feet. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus makes that promise to a criminal hanging on a cross next to him, a criminal who up until the very end was defiant and living in sin. Matthew's account of this story tells us that it's very likely that this criminal had been joining in the scoffing and mockery almost the entire time, perhaps even for hours leading up to his confession. But then something shifted. Something shifted, and the Spirit began to soften this man's heart, and he saw Jesus for who he was, the sinless Son of God hanging there next to him with a crown of thorns on his head, who in his death would step fully into his throne in heaven. So what does this promise made to a criminal some 2,000 years ago mean for us? Well, at least two things. First, it means that the gospel of Jesus Christ really is the only way to be saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ really is the only way to be saved. Jesus made a promise to this man based on his confession of Jesus' lordship, right? The promise that today you will be with me in paradise. Over and over and over in scripture, we learn that we don't have to do anything to earn our salvation. We simply confess Jesus as Lord and rely on his shed blood to wash us. That's it. That's all it takes. Any other work that we do, any other good deeds, any other fleeing of sin, any moral behavior is out of gratitude and in worship as demonstrations of our faith in the work of Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been trying to earn your salvation somehow, to atone for your past mistakes or to wash yourself just enough so that God would love you. Stop. 
Stop trying to do those things. This criminal hanging on the cross, he didn't do a single thing to earn his salvation, but confess Jesus as Lord. Whether you're a believer or you're searching, know this, the blood of Jesus Christ is enough to wash you. And the promise that Jesus made rings true for you. If you confess him as Lord, you will be saved. Second, this promise that Jesus made gives hope even to the worst of sinners. There are some of you hearing this message who have seen and done and experienced terrible things. Things that you think you can never be clean of. Things that haunt you. Things that you remember and see when you close your eyes at night. Decisions you made that you've wished a thousand times over you could take back. Things that happened 10 hours ago or 10 days ago or 10 years ago that you're still beating yourself up for, wondering how you could ever be forgiven. Well, this criminal on the cross, he wasn't a good guy. It's likely that he'd done some awful things, right? He's recorded in the Bible for all of human history, not by his name, but by the title criminal. It's pretty rough, right? But here's the thing. Even though he'd lived literally his entire life in rebellion to Jesus, when he turned to Jesus in faith in his dying moments, Jesus made a promise. Today you will be with me in paradise. See, church, nothing else matters when it comes to our salvation. If you confess Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. Period. Now, don't get me wrong, confessing Jesus isn't some trite thing that we do. It's not empty words, right? It's a full belief in the lordship of Jesus that saves, not uttering some phrase. But the point remains. There is hope for each and every soul here tonight. If you confess Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. He says to you what he said to that criminal some 2,000 years ago, you will be with me in paradise. So, trust him. Trust him. Rest in the promise he's made to you. The promise that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad the things are that you've experienced in this life, if you confess Jesus, that one who went to the cross fully innocent to bear the sins of the world, if you confess him as Lord, you will be saved. How is the cross of Christ good news for you and I? First, because Jesus made a promise. Second, the cross is good news because Jesus paved a way. Let's look again at verses 44 to 46. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. Picture the scene with me. Crowds around you, the highest ranking religious officials, Roman soldiers are there, everyone who's anyone was there watching the crucifixion of Jesus. And it's approaching midday, right? The sun is coming up on its peak it might even be pleasant. It's nice and warm. Suddenly, darkness 
darkness. God has turned off the light on the sun as King Jesus approaches his death. And all of creation is crying out. And then, verse 45, in the midst of the darkness, the curtain of the sanctuary is torn in two. Well, what's, what's that about? What's this curtain? In the temple in Jerusalem, here and throughout the Old Testament, there was a curtain dividing various levels of closeness to God. And God's presence was in the furthest room in called the Holy of Holies. And nobody was allowed into the Holy of Holies except the high priest. And even then, the high priest was only allowed in one time per year to offer some sacrifices. The presence of God is too much for someone to withstand. And so, God says, don't go in to the Holy of Holies. So, As the temple was designed and instructions were given by God, there was to be a huge curtain that hung so that no one could accidentally go in. The curtain was likely about 30 feet wide and 30 feet high, and early Jewish tradition holds that it was about as thick as a man's hand, so three or four inches thick. The curtain was a barrier intended to keep people out of the Holy of Holies. Hebrews 9 expands on this a bit. There we read that the high priest and the high priest alone enters the Holy of Holies and once a year he can go in and never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people that were committed in ignorance. But then, but then Christ appeared as both sacrifice and high priest. And what was once a privilege reserved for the high priest to go into God's presence once a year is now available to all believers at all times. There is now no separation between God and his children. Jesus has washed us permanently. There's no need for another sacrifice. There's no need for the blood of animals to temporarily wash us because we've been permanently made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus paved a way. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter if you're a criminal hanging there next to Jesus, struggling to breathe, confessing him with your last breaths. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the church singing God's praise from the time you were a little child. We are all brought into God's presence by the same work, the same Messiah, the same shed blood. On the basis of that blood, any man, woman, and child can be washed and can enter in to the presence of God. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've seen, no matter how you've lived your life up to this point, Jesus died so that you could be saved. There is hope of forgiveness, and it's only found in him. How is the cross of Jesus Christ good news for you and I tonight. It's good news because Jesus made a promise, a promise that anyone who repents and believes and confesses him as Lord will experience forgiveness and eternity in the presence of God. And it's good news because Jesus paved a way for you and I to enter into the presence of God, no longer distant and separate and relying on sacrifices to temporarily cleanse us but now fully washed by the perfect sacrifice of the innocent Messiah so that we can boldly go before the throne of the Father as his sons and daughters. 
If you've not yet trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation and not yet been washed by his blood and experienced the hope of forgiveness, embrace his call tonight. Embrace his call tonight. Turn to him as the criminal on the cross did, repenting of your sin and confessing him as Lord. And believer, rest in the truth that your salvation was accomplished on the cross and that one day you will be with Jesus in paradise. You don't have to earn it. He already did. Leading up to Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, as I mentioned, Jesus instituted the first Lord's Supper, the first communion with his disciples. He gave them the cup and the bread and in a foretelling of his broken body and shed blood and as a reminder of the promises that he'd made. Well, tonight we're going to celebrate communion together as we remember and reflect on what Jesus did. As we do, we have just three simple instructions. First, we practice open communion. What that means is if you're a believer here tonight, you've trusted in Jesus for your salvation, you're welcome to participate in communion. Second, parents, we recognize that you're the spiritual leaders of your families, and so if your child has made a profession of faith, you're welcome to serve communion to them. And finally, we'll take the elements together in a few minutes. So here's how we're going to do this tonight. I'm going to give you a few minutes to confess any sin that comes to your mind to the Lord and to consider the impact of the cross of Jesus in your life. And then we're going to sing the first two verses of the beloved song, There is a Fountain. And then we'll receive communion together and then we'll sing in response the second half of that song. So you can stay seated while we sing that song. So I'm going to give us two full minutes of silence right now. Two minutes is going to feel like a long time, but during this two minutes, I want you to sit in God's presence. I want you to confess any sin that he brings to mind, and you can be confident that the blood of Jesus shed on the cross washes you of that sin. You don't have to feel guilty about it. You don't have to feel shame. Jesus died so that you could be free of that guilt and shame. And then, if you get through with that, sit and just ponder the significance of the cross and what Jesus accomplished on your behalf. Let's go before him.
Jesus, we are in awe of what you've done for us. Your broken body and your shed blood that we remember tonight by the taking of bread and juice. Lord, would you use these elements in just a few minutes to remind us of what you've done, to help us more fully experience the freedom from the guilt of our sin and the shame of the things we've done. Lord, we love you. We ask that you hear these songs as worship. In Jesus' name, amen. says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's respond by singing the next two verses.
sinless and went to the cross on our behalf so that we might have life. We might experience freedom from the punishment that we deserve. Lord, the criminals said they acknowledged that they deserved the punishment they were getting, but you didn't. Lord, we deserve that punishment, and yet you have set us free from the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. Lord, we love you. Help us to rest fully in the truth of what we just celebrated, that your broken body and shed blood cleanse us fully. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.